Good morning. Great to be with you today. Sorry I had to slip out during that amazing choir piece. I realized halfway through it that I totally forgot my clicker and didn't want a disaster to take place um, because of that. Um, but I, I'm so glad to be with you guys here today. If you have your Bibles, well, we'll be in Luke chapter 7. So feel free to open those up to Luke chapter 7. We'll be walking through that passage that we just got done reading a little bit earlier from Dr. Derek. And so if you've been with us this year, for the past three weeks, we've been talking about how to be a church that is focused on the gospel, or what is a gospel church. And so we really based this whole series around looking at three different things, right? how we as a body of believers want to behold God in worship every single week, how we want to belong in community together, and how we want to be the church to the world around us. And so today, as we kind of continue this theme, the gospel above all, through this entire year, what we're going to look at today is really just kind of a a, a wrap-up of the first part of this series. And we're going to be looking at the question, how to live a gospel above all life. So we talked about beholding and belonging and being the church. And so today, we're going to look at a specific passage in Luke chapter 7 to see how we can live a gospel above all life. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And so Luke chapter 7 is going to help us do that. If you have your Bibles and you're opening those as you're doing that, let me just remind you of the marriage conference that we have coming up February 7th and 8th. So this is going to be over at our Eagle Point campus. Um, I'm excited about this. Me and my wife will be a part of this. A lot of our staff and a lot of church members have already signed up for this. It is $50 a person, excuse me, $50 a couple, $25 a person, and it's going to be a great time of learning how we can love each other better, and how we can fulfill the roles that God has given to us as husband and wife. So again, that is February 7th and 8th. If you want to sign up for that, we have a sign-up sheet over in our welcome area. Feel free to do that after the service. So speaking of marriage, I did something my first year of it that I have come to really regret. So it was the day that Shar and I were celebrating our one-year anniversary and we were living up in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. I was in school, I was in seminary, and, and Char was teaching. And if you've been a newlywed before, you know that those first couple of years, money is usually pretty tight, especially when you're trying to earn a master's and you're having to pay for it along the way. But we decided that on this day, we were going to splurge. And we, the plan was to go to a restaurant that we both loved. In fact, it was Shara's favorite restaurant. We'd gone there multiple times, and it had really become kind of our place to celebrate big moments and big milestones in our life. So we decided that's where we wanted to spend our one-year anniversary. So that morning, I go to work, and when I get to work, I find out that one of my coworkers, very nicely, decided that they wanted to give us an anniversary gift. I don't know how they found out, but somehow they knew it was our anniversary. And they decided to give us a gift card to a steak place in the area. A place that I'd been to before and that Shara hadn't. And what was amazing is that when I received this gift card, I was so quick to stop thinking with my heart and to start thinking with my wallet. Because I realized that when I had this gift card, that we had this amazing opportunity. I came up with this brilliant idea, at least what I thought was a brilliant idea, which was to use this gift card for anniversary day, right? I thought to myself, why go to Shara's favorite restaurant? to a place that I know she's going to love, to spend time with her, to celebrate one of the most magical and and milestone moments in our relationship, 
when I can just use this gift card to go to a place that she's never been before and a place that's not even on our radar? I mean, that kind of, that kind of thinking is bulletproof, isn't it? Um, and so, so what's the worst that can happen, right? Well, what could possibly go wrong in this situation? So we decide to go to that restaurant because Shara is a great wife, and she trusts my judgment, and so she goes along with the change, right? So we show up at this restaurant, and one thing you got to know about Shara is that she loves cleanliness, right? That's something that she values. I've known that for her for a long time, and it's something really I've grown to love being her husband. And this restaurant that we went to, was, how can I put this, the exact opposite of that. Because when you walked into the room, all you saw were all these peanut shells all over the floor. Right? And they, you know, they, they kind of choked that I love you, this is special, you're important kind of feeling um, that somebody might have on a date like this. So after we navigated our way through the shells, um, we, we got to our seats and we sat down. Now, the original restaurant that we're going to go to had a fantastic atmosphere. I mean, the, 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 the music was, was classy, the food was elegant, right? The lights were low. It was just the perfect place to go for a fancy dinner. But this place was, how do I say, the exact opposite of that? Because we had these wooden chairs that we sat in that were completely uncomfortable. You know, the, the, the music was rocking the place. And all the neon signs and the TVs in the room kind of made it a little bit bright. Um, so as we sat across from each other trying to enjoy this date, it was anything but romantic. So the time eventually comes for us to order our food, and I'm excited because I love steak. I mean, I could eat steak all day, every day. Uh, but another important fact about Shara that I also know uh, is that she's a picky eater, right? She only enjoys certain kind of things, and you can probably guess that steak wasn't on that list. And so we're sitting there, I'm enjoying my food, right? I'm just taking this all in, loving this moment, and she's barely touching it. Now, because I'm very observant and I'm a great husband, I have no idea this is going on, right? <laughs> no idea. No idea this is how she feels. And so we walk out of this place, and I feel like I just nailed it, right? Like I just had this amazing one-year anniversary date with my wife. But it's amazing how three nights sleeping on the couch really starts to make you second think <laughs> that decision. I'm just kidding. Shara's a lot nicer to me. Uh, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't do that. But she did let me know very quickly in a very nice way that when it came to our one-year anniversary date dinner, I had done messed up. And so I tell you that because today as we step into our story, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another dinner that two people are having together. And what we're going to see is like me, one of those people at that dinner makes some pretty big mistakes. So let's begin reading in Luke chapter 7 together, verse 36, and see what we can learn and how we can best live a gospel above all life. So this is what we see in our passage together. Oops. Verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So we see that there's this Pharisee who later we'll see is named Simon, who's asked Jesus to come and to have dinner with him, to have a meal together. Now, what's really important is that meals back then are completely different than how they are today. So one thing that makes them different is back then you would not sit in a chair when you would eat. Instead, you would lie down on your side and put your arm down, your feet would be behind you, and you would eat using your right hand. So that's what it means here when it says that they reclined at table. 
Now, secondly, what's also kind of interesting is back then when somebody would have a big dinner party, those in the town were invited to come and to hang out. So random people from the town could show up at these dinner parties, kind of hang out around the wall, and kind of eavesdrop on conversations. Kind of be a part of the event without actually being invited to the event. And this was especially common when somebody popular like Jesus was in town. So as they're sitting at the Pharisee's house, right, as they're hanging out at Simon's house, and all these people are probably filling up this very crowded room, we see that all of a sudden somebody very unexpected shows up. And totally crashes this party. Because in verse 36, it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So Luke doesn't really tell us a lot about this unexpected visitor. But one thing that he does tell us is that she is a sinner. And what this probably means is that she's she's a prostitute. So her reputation would have been very well known to everybody in this town. So every single person who's hanging out at this house, when she walks in, they know exactly who she is. And all of them would have been completely disgusted that she would have shown herself at this party. So just imagine how nervous she must have been when she walked in this room. How scared she must have been to enter into this room with all these people who know exactly who she is especially as she walks into the house of a Pharisee, right, the religious elite of this day. But despite what everybody thinks about this woman, she's willing to walk through the doors of this house because she desperately wants to see Jesus. She desperately wants to spend this time with this person, this rabbi who has chosen to make his way into her village. And so as Jesus is lying there at this table eating, she, finds her, she ends up coming in and doing something that would have made everybody in the room feel very awkward. Because this is what we read in verse 38 together. It says, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. Now, if you grew up in the church, you probably have heard this story a lot. Right? You're very familiar with what's happening here. But let's not let the familiarity of this story take away from the fact that there is absolutely nothing normal that is happening in this situation. I mean, this is crazy, right? Just think about it, right? As Jesus is lying there eating, this prostitute who everybody is staring at comes and crawls down at his feet. And she begins to wet them with her tears because she can't stop crying. She is weeping uncontrollably. And as she's doing this, she is just drenching Jesus' feet. Because what's interesting is the Greek word here for wet is the same Greek word for rain. So that's how wet Jesus' feet are getting. Imagine rain falling down on them. And then as she is sitting there at his feet crying, she takes her hair, which let's point out, is not a standard device for soaking up liquids, right? Right, you don't hear people say, you know what, honey, I just spilled the coffee. Would you mind giving me some paper towels? You know what, never mind, I got it, right? I'll just use my hair, right? You're not going to see that. But yet she uses this to wipe his feet. And the whole time she is doing this, she is kissing them and putting this ointment on them. I mean, there is nothing normal about what's happening in this situation. In fact, this is so strange. But see, not only is this strange, 
But because of the social norms of this day, this is also very scandalous. Because during this time, women weren't even allowed to talk to a Jewish rabbi in public. So touching them is completely off limits. But yet in this story, this woman not only touches Jesus, but she kisses his feet. Something that would have been considered inappropriate in this day. So you better believe the people in that room had some pretty negative thoughts about this woman as she is sitting there. Including the host of the party, Simon. Because in verse 39, this is what Simon is thinking about her. It says, now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this, wo- if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman who was touching him. For she is a sinner. So Simon, as a Pharisee, is a- absolutely appalled at what's happening here. I mean, he can't believe it. In fact, in his mind, this totally discredits Jesus. Because if he was actually a prophet, he would know who this woman was, and he would want absolutely nothing to do with her. And as Simon is sitting here thinking these awful thoughts about this woman, I can only imagine he's starting to get pretty proud of himself. Right, pretty proud of the fact that unlike her, he actually tries to live a life that honors God. That unlike her, he actually strives to obey the scriptures And he's somebody who's trying to live a life that's moral. But as Simon is is here in his mind just completely dismissing this woman, Jesus hears his thoughts. And he decides to have a conversation with Simon. And Jesus says to him, and Jesus answering said to Simon, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50, which was a day's wage. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So Jesus asked Simon this question in order to make a clear point. And that point is, the bigger the debt, the bigger the deal. Right? The bigger the debt, the bigger the deal. So if somebody has a bigger debt that's erased, then they're going to have bigger gratitude towards the person who erased it. And we totally understand this, right? I mean, if somebody had $50,000 of money that they owed and somebody else had $5,000, and both of those were canceled, both of those were erased... The person who owed the $50,000 is obviously going to make a bigger deal about it. They're obviously going to be happier about it happening because the bigger the debt means the bigger the deal. And even Simon gets this. And so Jesus asked this question in order to set up something because he wants to make a point that Simon is totally missing what's happening right here. And as Jesus responds to Simon, he starts to explain what it is that he's missing. Says then turning towards the woman, he, Jesus, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, 
but she has anointed my feet with ointment. This part is a very huge moment in our story. Because right here, Jesus is comparing Simon the Pharisee with this woman, the prostitute. And he does so by pointing out how each of them have treated Jesus since he walked into this room. Because what was common in this day, just common hospitality, was that when you saw somebody and you invited them over to your, your house, you would greet them with a kiss on the cheek. Right? Very similar to what we do today with a handshake or a hug. And then once they came inside, the host would offer water to them so that they could clean their feet. Because the roads that they traveled were really dirty getting there. And then on top of those two things, the host would also put just a little bit of oil on their head. Right? These were just common things that people would do during this day. But Jesus points out to Simon that when he showed up, Simon didn't do any of these things for Jesus. When Jesus walked into Simon's house, Simon didn't look at Jesus as this honorary guest. Instead, tr Simon just kind of treats Jesus as somebody who's ordinary. And you could even argue less than ordinary. But yet this uninvited woman has not, sent, has not ceased since she got to this house to do all these great things for Jesus. She has not ceased to make up for what Simon didn't do. And see, here's where this story connects to what we're talking about today. Because even though these two people are in the same room with Jesus, each of them have two totally different responses, don't they? Right? One is so overwhelmed with love that she can't help but weep at the feet of Jesus. But the other one is so unmoved with indifference that they don't even treat Jesus with common forms of hospitality. Same room, same Jesus, two different responses. And the reason I point this out is because I think the two different ways that these people treat Jesus in this story, the two ways that they respond to Jesus in this story represent the same ways that we are responding to Jesus today in this room. Either in love or in difference. And that disastrous dinner date that I went on my first year of marriage helps us explain and to see which one we are. Because that infamous night that I will never forget, I had one big fatal flaw. And that was forgetfulness. Even though I knew my wife well, even though I knew her preferences, I knew what she liked, I knew what she enjoyed, that night I forgot how much she valued cleanliness, how much she valued a romantic setting, and how much she valued certain types of food. I forgot. And because I was so caught up in getting a cheap date with my wife, I also forgot who I was as her husband. That my job was to treat her and to focus on her needs and what she wants instead of focusing on my own. And so because on that day I forgot not only who I was, but I forgot who she was, I took advantage of our relationship. 
right? I didn't see a one-year anniversary as something special. Instead, I saw it as something ordinary. I didn't appreciate my wife. And that night, my actions reflected my attitude. And our relationship was impacted by it. And see, when it comes to whether or not we respond to Jesus the way this woman does, or whether we respond to him the way Simon does, it's for the same reason. It's whether or not we've forgotten. It's whether or not we're being forgetful. Because similar to a marriage, the longer we're in a relationship with Jesus, the more likely it is that we forget who we are and we forget who he is. Right? We forget that like this woman, we have done some pretty awful things. Some things that, that we're not proud of. And because of that, like her, we deserve to be labeled a sinner. But Jesus in his goodness offers us his grace instead. And that even though we have a price that we should pay for all eternity because of what we've done, Jesus decides to go and to erase our debt at a cross so that we can spend eternity in a place called paradise with him instead. And see, whenever we forget who we are and we forget who Jesus is, that's when we start to act like Simon. And that's when we start to take advantage of our relationship with Jesus. We no longer treat it as something special. Instead, we just see it as something ordinary. No longer are we overwhelmed with love, but instead we find ourselves walking into a place like this and honestly just having a lot of indifference. And we stop appreciating Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. And if you're like me, that happens a lot more times than I would ever care to admit. Because I'm forgetful. And I forget what Jesus has done for me. So if we want to stop this from happening to us, if we want to be like the woman in the story and not be like Simon, it is so important that we see what Jesus says in the final verses of this passage. Because as Simon is listening to Jesus and as this woman is weeping at his feet, Jesus says something to both of them that we can't afford to forget today. And this is what he says. He says, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This is it. Right here, this is what we need to remember if we don't want to be like Simon. Because in the first part here, in verse 47, Jesus makes a very profound statement. And this is what Jesus is saying. The more you realize that you've been forgiven by me, the more you'll love me. Right? The more that somebody realizes they have been forgiven by Jesus, the more they will love Jesus. See, this woman was completely aware of her sin. But she was aware of all the shameful things that she had done in her life. She knew that her debt was great. So when Jesus was willing to forgive her, her love for him was huge. 
Her love for him was big. In fact, her love for him was so great that she was willing to do something strange in order to express it. She was willing to even do something scandalous in order to show Jesus just how much she loved him. But see, Simon, he doesn't get it. Simon doesn't see his need for forgiveness as being that great. So therefore, he doesn't have a love for Jesus that's great. Because if the bigger the debt means the bigger the deal, then we can't ever afford to forget how big our debt is. Because when we do, we start acting like Simon. We stop appreciating Jesus. We stop being overwhelmed with love because of what he's done for us. And we start treating him as somebody ordinary instead of somebody special. So if you're in the room today and you're being honest with yourself and you really don't feel this deep and overwhelming love for Jesus, it's because you've forgotten just how much you've been forgiven. It's because you've forgotten that the words that Jesus speaks over this prostitute are the same words that we need spoken over our lives every single day. And it's that your sins are forgiven. And see, for us, this is so important to remember when it comes to living a gospel above all life. Because the thing about a gospel above all life is that it always remember how much it needs to be forgiven. I mean, a gospel above all life constantly knows its need for, for, the, for forgiveness. It knows that death was our destiny until Jesus steps in and does something about it. Right? It always remembers that we are the prostitute in this story. We are the woman in this story who has a great sin, who's done some awful things, but God in his love and his grace and his goodness has chosen to forgive us. So no longer do we have a stain of sin in our life that we can't erase on our own, but instead because of the love and the grace and the goodness of our God who is willing to die for us, we can stay forgiven and accepted and loved. A gospel above all life never moves past its need for forgiveness. And is always finding its source through the love of Jesus found in what he's done for us. Right, this story shows us that. This story shows us who we are and who Jesus is and what we need to remember. And so this means if you want to live a gospel above all life, forgiveness can't be forgotten. We can't forget how much we've been forgiven. And when we realize this, we'll find our emotions and our affections stirred for Jesus. And we'll find that it's very easy to live out these things that we've talked about all month. Right, we'll find how easy it is to come and to behold God in worship because we just want to express to him how thankful we are for what he's done, even if it's strange. Because that's how we feel. We want to belong in community together because we want to spend time with other people who understand how big their debt is and what Jesus has done to forgive it. To forgive it. And then we'll want to be the church because we'll have a strong desire for everybody that we know to understand the grace that we've experienced in our lives. 
The key to living a gospel above all life is knowing that forgiveness can't be forgotten. So as we wrap up, here is my challenge for you. And it's to ask yourself this simple question. How big do I see my debt? When you look at your life, how big do you see your debt? Because if the bigger the debt means the bigger the deal, if we don't see our debt as being very large, then we're going to struggle to love Jesus. We're going to struggle to be overwhelmed with everything that he's done for us. But when we understand who we really are, and we understand the magnificent grace that Jesus offered to us, that's when we start living a life that's constantly remembering how much we've been forgiven and how much Jesus loves us. So how big do you see your debt? And if you're struggling to see your debt as being big, then ask Jesus to show it to you. Ask him to show you how big your debt is so that you can love him just like this woman does in the story.